Today, we continue to think about how we can be intentional about making spiritual progress in our life. What will you consistently do to move forward in your spiritual life? Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. There are a lot of moving parts to the journey, but our foundation is built on the solid rock. Keep your eyes on the prize and keep making steps forward on your spiritual journey. Now, we've had a little break. It has been Christmas, New Year's, and we're into 2024. I can't believe it. Last year, this time, I was in Japan, and now I'm in Wisconsin. So there's quite a few changes in my life in the last year. But even two weeks ago, we were looking at coming up with ideas about what our purpose and our, our meaning. But one of the things we always struggle with as humans is what am I supposed to be doing? Why am I doing this? What am I doing? And I've been kind of going through, it's really a subset of strategic planning, looking at our life and trying to answer some of these questions and then work our way down to figure out what am I supposed to do today? How do I move forward in my mission, in my goals, in my purpose in life? So we're still working on figuring out what our purpose is. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at our purpose, kind of comparing Peter Drucker's five magic questions with what the Bible tells us about our purpose. And there's definitely some good things you can get from things like his magic questions, but it doesn't compare to the very direct things that the Bible tells us about our purpose. God's call is for you to be an active disciple maker on his mission of reconciliation. I think that's crystal clear. That's not just for pastors or missionaries. That's for every believer. That is God's call for your life. The question then becomes, how do I respond to God's call? What does that mean that I'm supposed to do with my life? How do I live out God's call in light of the fact that I have to work? And if you have a family, you have responsibilities and you have neighbors and you have different responsibilities there. You have a life. And in the middle of that, you have this call of God on your life. So it does take some thinking about it. Let's quickly review a little bit since we've been away for a couple of weeks. I did go over uh, these five magic questions. And as I said, there's some value in asking these questions, but we have to be careful that our answers are from God's Word, not from pop culture or from Peter Drucker. So he asks, First, what is your mission? And I think, you know, really this is the question that we're asking. When we think about our purpose, it's why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And if you're just pursuing a paycheck, you're probably not doing your life very well. Because ultimately, you'll reach a point where you're not able to work, to work, to earn a paycheck. And then what's your purpose? Did your purpose just begin and end with your career, with your job? Well, I don't think so. In light of God, in light of what He says in His Word, in light of eternity, I think our, our mission, our purpose is bigger than your job. It's bigger than your career. It's bigger than your family. So when we ask the question, what is our mission, we have to understand we're asking not just 
what am I doing in my job and how successful am I going to be and those kinds of things. You, you may ask those, and they may be legitimate questions in a certain context. But in the, the bigger picture of our whole life, what is our mission has to be a question that we step back and look at it and say, ultimately, what is life about? And I think if we answer this question, what is your mission from that standpoint, it's a, certainly a valuable question and can lead us in the right place because if you answer it and you answer it as God answers it, as God tells you what your mission is, then you're going to be on the right track. Now, the second question I think a lot more people struggle with, even in business, is who is your customer? And I think a lot of churches fail in this, and we talked about that a little bit two weeks ago. If you see your customer as the lost people in your neighborhood, and that drives how you do church, so to speak, then you're going to have problems. Because as the church, the world is not your customer. Your customer uh, in this context would be Jesus. He is the head of the church. He is the one that you are trying to please. And really, where a company may ask, who is my customer? They're thinking about the people who are buying their product. As an employee, you have to look at your customer, the person that you're trying to please. Yes, it is um, the people who are buying your project, if that's what your boss says that it is. But ultimately, who's your customer? Which It's your boss. It's the person who signs your paycheck, the person who gives you an evaluation and says, hey, you're doing a good job or you're doing terrible. You're going to lose your job. So you can do great at customer relations with people outside the company, but if you don't answer that question right and understand that you have to please your boss, then you're going to lose your job, which gives you no penalty to serve the customer. So even asking this question, the way that we answer it, even in a secular standpoint, I think we, people make mistakes all the time. You know, I've known someone who worked in a job where they were well qualified to do the job and they were serving the customer well, the people who were paying but they they didn't understand what their boss wanted and ultimately they lost their job because yes, their customers were happy, but their boss was not happy we have to understand our customers and as the church, it's not the world we are in a way, we are serving the world. We're, we're giving them the best possible thing they could get as we offer the good news, as we do our part to help them be reconciled with Christ. But our customer is Jesus. He is the head of the church. He is the one we're seeking to please. So we go to the third question. This is, what does your customer value? Well, if you have identified correctly that Jesus is the one that I'm here to serve and he is the one that... I'm here to please, well, then it's a simple matter of looking at God's Word and saying, what does He value? What's important to Jesus? And the wonderful thing about the incarnation, the, the truth that Jesus came to this world and lived as a man and provided that example for us is that He lived out His values in front of the world. He lived out His values in front of His disciples and we have a good picture of what it looks like to live out his values in the world. We see what he cared for. We see how he responded to people who were uh, low class, high class, religious, not religious, 
people in need, people who thought they had everything. We see a lot about his values in the way that he lived his life. And then on top of that, we have the rest of Scripture, which gives us God's values. So this is not a hard question to answer if you have correctly identified that he is the one that we are pleased. So if you've answered these first three questions correctly, we understand our mission, we understand who's the one that we're trying to please, which is Jesus, we understand his values. Then the fourth question that Peter Drucker asks is, what results do you see? And I think this is a question we often don't think about. We don't like to consider results. Uh, we don't like to, to do evaluations and say, how are we doing? Uh, and let me just tell you, as a church, one of the things that we should do, and we should do frequently, and, and even at the personal level, I think individually, we need to do evaluations. I mean, I need to say, in light of the purpose that God has given my life, in light of the fact that I'm here to follow the head of the church and to obey him and his values, how am I doing? Is my life matching up with what he is asking from me? Are the results what they should be? Uh, and by results, really, uh, I can't handle, I can't um, do what only God can do. But by results, I, I really am looking at my life, and it is my life being lived, lived out consistently in line with what God is asking me to do. When I look at my calendar from, from the last month, my, pay, my finances from the last year, do I look at that? Those are results. How I spent my time, how I spent my money, my relationships. Those are results. And those are results that should be God-honoring. And they should be in line with my mission, with pleasing God. And how do I get there? How do I consistently look back and see that, hey, what I, what I lived was what I said. I got the results in my life. Maybe not spiritually. I'm not as mature as I would like to be, but I was consistently doing the things that I was supposed to. How do we get there? Well, that's the fifth question. What is your plan? If you have a mission, you understand the values that you should be uh, pursuing, you understand who you're trying to please, and you understand what the results are that you're seeking, then you can actually come up with a plan. And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell you what to do every day. But God does tell you what's important to him and what you should value. And it's a pretty good place to start when you consider your priorities. What does God say? Uh, what are the priorities that he has? How does he expect me to live them out? So we looked at several passages two weeks ago. And I, I want to review them really quickly because I think this is important. I mean, if we're, if we're looking at God's word, we're saying, I should have my priorities lined up with his. We, we want to review these passages, but we're going to come back to them over and over and over again. So for my wife and I, when we got started in life together, we chose Matthew 6.33 as our theme verse, our uh, key verse that we wanted to live out. We want to see this lived out in our life. Matthew 6.33, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things we added unto you. So, What's the goal there? To seek the kingdom of God. To seek his righteousness. Now, that's a short verse. It's easy to memorize. It's easy to remember and come back to. But what we find consistently is that it is really hard to live out. We, we struggle to not put our 
will in place of God's to do what we want to do instead of what He wants us to do. But that goal is in front of us. That priority is there to first, and number one, seek the kingdom of God. And we'll come back to that idea in a minute. Luke 10, 38-42, and this is an awesome, awesome story. As you see Mary and Martha, and they're responding to the presence of Jesus and these other people in two different ways. So, many of us respond like Martha. We are looking at these people going, man, there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> and it's a little bit overwhelming. I think that's true for most uh, pastors. Uh, that's true for most people in ministry. If you honestly sit down and honestly evaluate the, the needs, it's overwhelming. And really, I think that's true if you're just seriously attempting to be a disciple maker, you're going to say, man, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of work to do. There are a lot of people in my life, and I have a lot of opportunities to invest in their life. I have a lot of opportunities to be salt and light. Man, this is going to take a lot of work. Man, there's a lot to do. i got to get busy. And I think that's what Martha did. Man, it's, it's the right thing to serve these people. It's a good thing. It's interesting how when she went to Jesus, she said, well, Mary has chose the best thing. And again, I've mentioned before this idea of good, better, and best. You can have Consistent good choices that keep you from the best. Uh, we can be slave to the good. You know, there, there are so many good things that you could do. And many, many of those good things that you could do will keep you from Jesus. And I think that's what you see with Mary and Martha. Martha was busy and she was serving and her heart was in the right place. You know, she wanted to, to use her gifts and serve. That, that's good. But Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And the thing is, and I think this is maybe what we miss sometimes, we say, well, what if Martha had sat at the feet of Jesus too? Who would have cooked? Who would have done all this stuff? Well, all those things that have to be done, what God tells us is, I, I know what you need. Put me first. Jesus understood people need to eat. They have to live. Uh, he provided for people's needs. I mean, come on. We remember what, what God done when there were thousands of people that were hungry, right? He provided for needs. He understood that. And still he said, put me first. So if Martha had sat down with Mary at some point in time, Jesus would take care of the, the physical needs. Whether that's saying, hey, it's time for some people to hit the kitchen. <laughs> or whether he did it in another way. I, he knows what our needs are. We have to put him first. So that's not always easy because the need just seems so huge. Well, we looked at Matthew 22, 35, uh, 35 to 40, and it's the two great commandments, love of Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that gives you very clearly right there 
some things that have to be on your priority list. And it's not hard to misunderstand. It is hard to misunderstand that first one. He said, you should love the Lord your God with all. It's repeated three times. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Not most of it, not some of it, but all of it. Okay, that's an absolute. That is an absolute. So when we think about our priorities, when we say seek first the kingdom of God, put God first, he is serious about that. It is an absolute. And the second one, the second thing, put God first. What's the next one? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? We, we typically love ourselves a little too much. <laughs> we have to really love other people. It, it's not an option to not love them. It's, it's a requirement. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. Again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Again, that, those are absolutes. That's, that's all. And then he helps those of us who are parents, and I think this also works in the context of the church and more mature believers with younger believers, says all the words I command you today shall be in your heart. Okay, where do you got that? We're loving God with all our heart. That carries with it an expectation and a responsibility to teach that to other people. And here, it's your children. It's in the context of Israel and passing down all that God has taught to Moses and to the children of Israel to this point. How do you carry that to successive generations? You teach them diligently. You put some effort into making sure that your children understand who God is and that we love Him with all of our heart. You talk about it. When you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, when you're working, when you're resting, God is at the center. You cannot avoid talking about Him if you really love Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think that's true for us today. It's why we make things like uh, discipleship and evangelism harder than they're supposed to be because it isn't a relationship. It's meant to be part of our life. We're going through life and we're doing whatever we're doing with God as the first priority. It means going to work with God as the first priority. The most important thing today when you clock in is that you honor God in your work. And I think if you do that, you do well for your employee. But God has to be first. It means when you go to school, you go to school with the intention of honoring God in your schooling. When you go to a community meeting, you go with God at the center. The intent is for God to be at the center. If that is the way that you live, then there are natural times when God comes up. Why did you do the, what, what you did? Why do not respond the way everybody else does? Those are natural times to say, well, you know, hey, God's at the center. I'm pursuing Him and His righteousness first, above everything else, above my own uh, reputation, above my finances. I'm putting God first.
If we do that, then there are very natural times when that comes to the surface because that means you live a life distinctly different than everybody else. You'll see further uh, evidence or ideas of what that looks like. The next passage we looked at was Romans 12, 1 and 2. And here Paul, Paul says, What do you do with your body? You present it as a living sacrifice. Now, I mean, come on, man. Look at the Old Testament. The sacrifice was complete. You didn't sacrifice part of a cow. You know, you didn't bring a sheep up and say, well, I'm just going to do half of it today. It's the whole thing. <laughs> the sacrifice that that sheep made was complete. That's the way our sacrifice is meant to be. We are a living sacrifice. And he makes us holy, and we respond in gratitude, in grace, in mercy to others. And what Romans 12 one tells us is that this is just reasonable service to, to give God everything in your life, 100%, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That's, that's just your reasonable service. He, he deserves that so much more. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's what God does. He transforms us by the renewing of our minds. So when we commit all of our minds to Him, we understand that our mind is changing. It's being transformed. We can actually love Him more as we're more like Christ. The only one who loved God the Father completely, absolutely, never failed, was Jesus. And the only way that we can love Him more is to become more like Jesus. So, one of the things we looked at, thinking about our priorities and our purpose and kind of who we are and what we're supposed to be in the world, we look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. So, the goal there, the end game, is a peaceful life, a godly reverent, peaceable life. And as part of pursuing that ourselves, we pray for those who are in authority. We want the people in authority to give us the freedom to live that godly, peaceable life. And this is such a hard thing for us. I mean, you think about your priorities. It, it should be a high priority to pray for other people. And I think Typically, we try to do a pretty good job of praying for our, our church members who are in need because we have a prayer sheet to remind us. We might do a little less well at praying for our neighbors, our neighborhood, our community, our community leaders, for people that we disagree with, for those co-workers who are annoying to us. But it says they're giving of thanks be made for all men. So we're praying for, we're intercessors. We're giving thanks for all, all, everybody, for kings and all who are in authority. Whether you agree with them or not, whether you like their policies or not, we are to be praying for them. Uh, prayer is a clear priority in Scripture, and praying for other people is a clear mandate for us. So we think about our priorities. We tend to 
be distracted by the world's priorities and pursue things that are not uh, spiritual. We don't pursue godliness and a life of prayer and putting God first in all things. We tend to pursue uh, security, to, to pursue uh, things that would maintain our reputation, uh, to pursue a career, maybe a certain level of respect and honor. And those kind of things tend to absorb our thoughts in the world today. If those things really come into play as you're thinking about your priorities, you're going to live a different life than the one that Jesus lived. You see that he did not pursue fame and fortune. He did not pursue um, his reputation. He did not pursue finances and, and having a secure, comfortable life. He pursued the mission of God the Father, that mission of reconciliation. And he put that first, and very clearly put that first, consistently put that first. It was there in every relationship that he had as he challenged the people that he talked to to make steps toward God, to make steps toward uh, a life of reconciliation, a life of fellowship, a life of fellowship with God. How can we do less? Particularly if you have experienced that fellowship yourself. If you have been reconciled and you understand what God has done in your life, and you are experiencing that grace and mercy in your life. Then how do we do less than pursue that ourselves? Pursue a life on mission, on the mission of Christ. Let me get down to Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, where we're to go and make disciples. Now, two weeks ago, we ended with a question, what does that look like in your life? How are you living out these truths that we're putting God first, we're to love our fellow man, we're, we're commanded to go and make disciples. So what does that look like? What, what does it mean to live that daily? And hopefully you've had a chance to think of that, pray about it, but let's put it in another way and ask the question, what will you prioritize and pursue in your life? This is coming down to your your priorities. What's first? And you will accomplish the things that you put actions to. If you say, well, I'm gonna, I'm putting God first. Okay, well, how are you doing that? What does that look like? How are you pursuing godliness? What are the, the actions that go along that with that? And too often we struggle because we have gotten our priorities from the wrong places. You know, if you're, you ask the question, where do I get my priorities? Well, if you answer that wrong, you're never going to be on the right path. The world tells you a lot of things through media, TV, movies, music, magazines, books, billboards. What, what's the dominant message of commercials? Well, you need more. Stuff will make you happy. People will like you more if you're cool. <laughs> There's so many things that the world tells you that's just nonsense. More stuff's not going to make you happy. Uh, a better reputation in the community is, is not a long-term uh, path to success and happiness. Only a right relationship with God. Yes. But the world tells you all these kind of things, and if you try to adjust your priorities according to what the world says, you're going to have some problems. So we're going to take a quick break. Be back in a minute, and we're going to look at some biblical advice for our priorities to kind of continue to examine these questions of what do I prioritize? What do I pursue? What does that look like 
in the world today.